Well, welcome to the podcast, everyone. This is Brother Jason, and you are listening to Apostolic Bible Study Time. This is episode two. We will, this episode, be getting into the book of Hebrews, and we won't get any further than the first three verses of chapter one today. If you have questions or comments, our email address is apostolicbiblestudytime at gmail.com. That's apostolicbiblestudytime at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is www.facebook.com forward slash apostolic Bible study time. Make sure you like our Facebook page to receive updates and special announcements concerning our Bible study. If you would desire a list of the scriptures and resource materials used for today's episode, go to www.apostolicbiblestudytime.org. And as a reminder, this is the ministry of the Gaffney Bible Fellowship at 407 North Logan Street, Gaffney, South Carolina. Well, today we will actually be getting into the book. The last episode was concerning... Who wrote the book of Hebrews concerning the authorship and uh, the different theories? Obviously, nobody has signed a copy of the letter that we have, but it's still in our Bibles. And we know from the earliest times of the New Testament that it was quoted. Uh, Clement of Rome, he was uh, quoted using it. I believe the year was about 96, but there's no doubt at all that the book does belong in our Bible, in, in our scripture. But we're going to get into this today a little bit. We're going to pick up here in chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, the book of Hebrews, the uh, many topics are covered in the book, but the whole theme of the book, and if you remember from the last podcast, I honestly believe that this is the message that the Apostle Paul preached first to the Jews before going out to the Gentiles in the cities that he went to. But if you read the book of Hebrews, the main theme throughout the book is the superiority of the new covenant over the old. Uh, it's, it's very detailed. It's very deep. Obviously, whoever wrote it had understanding of the new covenant and had deep understanding of the old covenant. It was obviously written by a Jew. Book of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 starts out, God, who at sundry times endeavors manners, spake in time past unto the fathers, by the prophets. Now we can go in and we can dig and we can read and we can see that indeed in the Old Testament, God spoke to his people by various means. Uh, Genesis 3 and 8, Adam and Eve, uh, when they had first fallen, it's mentioned that, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? So apparently we take this and we understand the relationship that Adam had with the Lord. And evidently the Lord had appeared in a body in the garden and walked amongst the trees and walked amongst uh, Adam and Eve. And he had fellowship with his creation. Now there's a uh, theophany 
I, I recently heard about this. I'd never heard the term used before, but I was listening to David Bernard's book on the oneness of the Godhead, and he mentions a theophany, but the secular definition of the word theophany is a visible manifestation of a deity. Now remember, he said, in sundry times, in diverse manners, he has spoken. So it's possible the Lord was in a manifestation of a theophany in the garden, but the Lord definitely had appeared to them. Now Exodus, let's go over to the third chapter, and I suppose maybe I should have printed this out onto my paper as I was doing this. I don't want to make too much noise flipping back and forth here, but Exodus, the third chapter, we're going to pick up in the first verse. It says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. So Moses had an experience with God, his first experience that we have in Scripture. The Lord spoke to him out of a bush. Well, again, this is not in human form. This is not God coming in the form of a man. But still, the Lord spoke directly to Moses through a manifestation of himself. But he spoke out of this burning bush. Now, the theophany, this we have many times we could go back and we could read about Abraham. I've thought often about those three men that Abraham saw walking up to him when he was sitting in the door of his tent, and he looked up and he said, my Lord. He didn't say my Lord's. There was something evidently God had revealed himself to Abraham again, whether it was through Melchizedek, well, we really don't know, but Abraham recognized the Lord coming, and he was flanked on either side, most likely, by two angels that went on to Sodom and Gomorrah. But again, God revealed himself in a theophany to Abraham when he gave him the covenant and when he told him what he was going to do. But the Lord appeared many times to many different people. Uh, we have the idea that it's possible Joshua saw the Lord, captain of the Lord's host. Now, was that the Lord in another form? We, we really don't know, but it's possible. Also, uh, Samson's father's name was Manoah. But when he came and he, he saw the angel of the Lord, again, it's possible that was the Lord appearing to them in the form of a man as a theophany. I hope you understand where we're going, this, going with this. But this is what uh, the writer is talking about. There was many different times that the Lord had appeared to different people of the children of Israel. One of the most famous over here in the book of Numbers in the 22nd chapter, we're going to pick up in the 22nd verse. He says, And God's anger was kindled because he went, speaking of Balaam. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. 
And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. But the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself into the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam said unto her, Because thou hast mocked me. I would therefore were a sword in mine hand, for now I would kill thee. Now would I kill thee? And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was it ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in his way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. Now the obvious thing when we... When we read this is Balaam didn't think it was strange at all that the donkey was speaking to him. But I I don't know what his experience was, but if I went home and my dog started talking to me, I would think it was just a bit strange. But uh, we we don't know a whole lot about Balaam's life. We we know his demise. But anyways, God in in sundry times in diverse manners appeared to different of the children of Israel. Job Job 38 and 1, the Lord answered, Job out of the whirlwind. Uh, Many different manifestations, but it was all one God. It was all this one God revealing himself, manifesting himself to his people. Let's go back over to Hebrews now. Again, if I'm speaking a little too fast, which sometimes I have the tendency to do, you can get a list of scriptures and resources. I'm putting the website in blog form, but it is www.apostolicbiblestudytime.org. Apostolicbiblestudytime.org. But I'll have a list over there of all the scriptures and all the different resources. So now we know in verse 1 what he was talking about, how at sundry times in diverse manners spake in the time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now verse 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Now, I believe most of our audience is going to be apostolic, so I'm not going to uh, belabor this point, and I'm not going to go into all the aspects of the oneness of the Godhead, but today I do feel that it would be the, the, the obvious thing to do, just to catch our listeners up to where we are. We do not believe in a trinity. 
uh, being apostolics, we believe there is one God who has manifested himself in many different forms in many different ways. But the idea of a trinity, when we go back and we read the apostles and when you read about the early church, the word trinity is nowhere in there. Uh, yes, God has revealed himself as the Father. God has revealed himself as the Son. And God has revealed himself as the Holy Ghost. But those three are one. Uh, the, the, the statement of the uh, Hebrew faith was Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And that was believed that you have to keep in mind the early church was not what we now call Christians. The early church was made up of Jewish believers who understood and did not question the oneness of the Godhead. It would be blasphemy to them to, to say that there were two or three different gods. And I understand that not everyone defines the Trinity in that manner, but much of what goes today as Christianity would indeed be blasphemy to the early church. I'm not so worried about the early church as I am would it be blasphemy to God. That's what concerns me. What does God think of the definition people are trying to put on him? Um, Elohim, when we talk about Elohim, which was the word for God back in the Old Testament, it's a majestic plural. Now let us make man, us make man in our image. But that was a majestic plural. We don't look for three gods in that. What we do find is one God who is absolute in everything we would possibly need. But we do not have three gods. We only have one. So now, where did this come from? Where, where did this idea of three gods, the idea of the Trinity come from? Since obviously, it's nowhere to be found in the Bible. And if it is, I'll tell you what, you come here and you show me Trinity in the Bible. In the King James Version, you find me the word Trinity in the Bible and I'll hand you a $50 bill. But there was a man named uh, Justin Martyr over in Colossians the second chapter, the eighth verse, the Apostle Paul warned the Colossians. He said, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Philosophy was not in the early church. They, they, philosophy and Hebrew thought are two almost conflicting things. The, the Hebrews had the Eastern thought. The way they thought was, it was analog. It wasn't as we think. Uh, our culture has been so saturated with Greek thought and then later saturated with Roman thought. We think in the abstract. We have no problem thinking in the abstract. But the way the Hebrews thought was more concrete. They saw the universe. Everything they saw, they saw in patterns. That's the reason why they had no problems believing when God would make a promise of a Savior. Let's use a Savior, for instance. Well, although the Lord was uh, took a while to bring the Savior, Jesus Christ, into the world, they knew that there was going to be a Savior because the Lord raised up Moses to lead them out of Egypt. So in their minds, it was obvious the Lord would do the same thing again in his pattern and lead his people away from Rome. 
which the Lord did, but it wasn't in the way that they had expected to be. Uh, the new covenant, when the Lord brought the new covenant out to the people, it was different from what they had expected. So they had a hard time being Jews, understanding and, and receiving this. But Justin Martyr, he is the one that brought uh, Platonic thought. He brought Plato in, he brought Socrates in, and he took this uh, Greek philosophy and he took a little bit of Christian doctrine and he mixed it all up and then he put it out there at the people. And if it would have been one person doing this, then you know history might have forgotten. But there was others that had stood up. Uh, a man by the name of Tertullian. He was born around 155 A.D., long that this is, what, 60 years, 55 years after the last apostle had passed away, and he was the first person who used the word Trinity. You didn't find it in the first century church. You didn't find it halfway through the second century church. But Tertullian, he, he was the one that came up and he had the idea of the Trinity. And then it goes on from there. You have another man by the name of Origen. And these people, they, they brought in this Greek thought. They brought in all this Gentile nonsense is what it is into the word of God. And they began distancing themselves from the fact of what Christianity was meant to be. Christianity is the fulfillment of the new covenant. Jesus came, he fulfilled the old covenant, he made a way for us to enter into. We'll go over to Romans, the 11th chapter, and we could read what the Apostle Paul is talking about, how he says that we, being Gentiles, were grafted in to the good olive tree. Now, we were the wild olive tree, but through Jesus Christ in Galatians, he says, we have become the seed of Abraham by faith. But this is where the Trinity came from. But all through the word of God, it's foolishness. Let's go over to Isaiah, the seventh chapter. And we're going to pick up here in, I believe it's the 14th verse. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, a virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son and call his name Emmanuel. Now, Luke tells us Emmanuel translates into God with us. Okay? He came in the past as a theophany. He came in the past in many different forms, but when he appeared to us in the last days, as we read in the book of Hebrews, and we are living in the last days, this is the last dispensation of time because we are dealing with Jesus Christ now. There is no more manifestation to come. Jesus is what you get. But he says here, again, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, over in Genesis, the third chapter. And I want to pick up in the 15th verse. He says here, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. 
it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now we understand in biology the seed is of the man. The seed is not of the woman. That's the reason why the only way this prophecy could have been fulfilled would be through a virgin birth. Well, who was the seed of the woman? Well, that's Jesus Christ. That, that's Jesus Christ that came. He came and he defeated Satan. Satan right now, he's kind of like that chicken out there in the barnyard. He's flopping around without a head. We know he's been defeated. He knows he's been defeated. But in all of that, he's just flopping around making a whole lot of noise right now. But he has been defeated. Christ bruised the head of the serpent. And when the serpent bruised the seed's heel, that talks about his death. But we know that he arose again on the third day. We know that death could not hold him. Now again, in Isaiah the ninth chapter, and I want to pick up in the, the sixth verse, and I'm sorry, it's going to take me just a second to get over there. Isaiah 9 and 6, the writer says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, if there's a trinity, if Jesus Christ is the Son, how is he the Father? Now, do I believe that Jesus Christ in the flesh, when he was here in the flesh, do I believe that he was the Son? Yes, that flesh was the Son of God. But again, Colossians 2 and 9 says, For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There is no more God outside of Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus Christ came down, it says again in Isaiah, we're not going to the scripture, but it talks about he looked and there was no man, so his arm brought salvation. God himself came down. First uh, Timothy, the third chapter, the 16th verse, the Apostle Paul writes here, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Well, yeah, we agree with that. It's definitely a great mystery. But he says, God was manifest in the flesh. He is the fullness. He is the fullness. All that can be known of God is in Jesus Christ. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of the angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. So the, the father came down and he was the seed of the woman. He came down in the flesh and he came for mankind. He came to fulfill the covenant uh, over in the book of John in the 14th chapter. We are going to pick up in the 8th verse. And now he's talking to Philip. Well, let's just pick up, yeah, verse 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, shew us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. 
And how sayest thou then, shew us the Father? So the Father came down, was manifest in the flesh. Uh, one scripture I did not have written down, but I want to go to, and it just clarifies this a little bit. Let's go over to the book of John in the third chapter and the 13th verse. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus here. He says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which <laughs> is in heaven. Now, this is something that was beyond Nicodemus's understanding. He could not understand what Jesus was saying. He could not understand that the Father stood before him in human form, not in a theophany, not in a revelation as it was in times past, but he came in flesh and blood and he was standing there and he was telling Nicodemus, you must be born again of the water and of the spirit. Okay, again in John, let's go over to the 20th chapter. Now what happened to that flesh? I had a pastor years ago uh, the way he tried to explain it was Jesus uh, in the book of Acts in the first chapter as he is being caught up and they see him go up into the clouds that that flesh went back to dust. But honestly, that is not what the Bible says. The book of John in the 20th chapter, it's something a lot more glorious than that. The 17th verse, Jesus has come out of the tomb and Mary, she's saying, oh, where have you put his body? She thinks she's talking to a gardener and she's saying, where have you put his body? I'll take him away. Just let me know where he is. And she's all besought and all just distraught and beside herself and so upset. <laughs> And Jesus, who she was not expecting to see in this way, Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself, saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your father, and to my God, and your God. But he said, touch me not. Now what did Paul write? 1 Timothy 3.16, that he was received up into glory. Okay, something happened to that body in between uh, verse 17 here, and then verse uh, 27. Let's pick up in 26, the apostles. He appears again to the apostles, but Thomas isn't with them, and Thomas is having problems believing. And he says, after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. I don't know about you, but I'm not used to having people appearing in the middle of the room. Uh, then he saith to Thomas in verse 27, Now remember what he said to Mary, Don't touch me, I have not yet ascended to the Father. Then saith he to Thomas in verse 27, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas winds it all up here in verse 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, that was blasphemy for a Jew. A Jew would not call a person 
God. But He had ascended. He had become glorified and He came down. He no longer had the restraints that we have put on us being the seed of Adam. But He became what He truly was. That body was glorified. That body became God. He's no longer, just like Paul says over in the book of 2 Corinthians, he says, uh, we have known Christ after the flesh, but henceforth know we Him no longer after the flesh. Okay, you, you understand Jesus Christ came and he walked among men. He walked around and he taught to people. He performed the miracles. He did all that was required of him to do to fulfill the law. But he could not be holden by death because he was God. In him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And now, believing that he is God, knowing that he is God, we look and we see and we understand Zechariah saw him 500 years before he had appeared on the earth. And he said, where have you received these wounds in your hands? And he said, in the house of my friends. That's the reason when I look back to Abraham, the theophany that Abraham saw, were the wounds already there? Because the Bible teaches us that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. But I don't want to digress from the point. I don't want to digress from Hebrews here. It's just something to think about. Uh, we're going to leave the oneness of the Godhead, but uh, there's a very, very good book. It's called The Oneness of God and the Doctrine of the Trinity by, and I'm sorry if I butcher his name, but it's Kuwait Singh Bora. I, I believe is how it is pronounced, but if you go over to the website, www apostolicbiblestudytime.org the ISBN number the, the whole nine yards is there what you need to be able to read this book also I would suggest The Oneness of the Godhead by David Bernard these are both good books to give you the understanding of who Jesus was to give you an understanding of Deuteronomy 6 and 4 that scripture is so important it is so foundational of everything that the Bible has to say about Jesus Christ. It is the foundational because we understand that he was God manifested in the flesh. Okay, so we see how in uh, diverse times, what is it, sundry times and in diverse manners, we see all the ways that God has revealed himself to man. And that's what the, the writer here, the speaker here, however it may be, that's how they're getting their point across. Uh, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. We can go back to uh, Colossians again and we read that everything was made by him. And without him was nothing made that was made. He made everything you see. Jesus Christ is the creator God. Everything was made by him. Okay, so we see that everything was made by him and Jesus Christ came not as a theophany again, but he came manifested in the flesh. He became our sin offering. He became our scapegoat. He became our Passover lamb. He became all these things to us. He fulfilled the Old Testament. He gave you your salvation that you can have, as it says in the book of Luke in the 24th chapter, that 
repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. So when we read that and then we go over to Hebrews and we start understanding that this great covenant that has been given, it was spoken to Moses the first covenant, and it was spoken to Moses, and then the, Moses gave the covenant that was given to him to the, the children of Israel. But now it goes forth trying to get people all over the world to understand that they can be Abraham's seed. According to the book of Galatians, the third chapter, they can be Abraham's seed by faith in Christ. And I don't want to get into Acts 2.38 right now. That that's not where we're going with this. But again, that is a pivotal, yeah, pivotal scripture in all of this. It's no longer in the keeping of the ordinances of the law, but it's being baptized in his name. It's repenting and from dead works, laying that all aside. And it's receiving the Holy Ghost, the spirit of the living God within you. So, what we have now, we have Jesus Christ. He, he's not going to come again as a theophany. He's not going to come again as uh, the, the cloud like he appeared to Moses and Miriam and Aaron. He came in the body, and that body was glorified. Okay, there's no more uh, manifestations to understand. You are not going to get any more revelation of Jesus Christ other than what he has given, that he has come and he has sealed your salvation with his own blood and death could not hold him okay let's go over to 2 Corinthians again and according to our time clock I'm going to wind this down fairly quickly I told you during the last episode we are going to keep these episodes within 30 to 45 minutes but and I'm sorry if I've gone a little overboard but <laughs> When I think about who dwells in me, I'll tell you what, it's hard not to get excited. I heard somebody say, blessed is the preacher who can testify without preaching. And I, to that I say amen. But over here in 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, we're going to get the 19th verse. He says, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. It's all in him. Everything you can have, it is all in him. He has come to save you. All you have to do is not try to lean on your own understanding. Search the scriptures. Uh, Jesus told the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, he said, search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and these are they that do testify of me. Speaking of him, again in the book of Hebrews, quoting the book of Psalms, he, he says that the, a body thou hast prepared me, lo, I come in the volume of the book, not a book. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me, which is why I love Bible study so much, because this is where our revelation comes from. And sometimes I'm sure you wish your host could get past three scriptures in 45 minutes, but it's exciting. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express 
image of his person. Now, that brightness of his glory, let's go over to the book of Isaiah in the 49th chapter, and we're going to read verse 6. And it, he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. And I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Now we read about the brightness of his coming. Okay, the Lord has lit the world up with his gospel. We used to sing that song, Send the light, that blessed gospel light. That gospel light has gone throughout all the earth, bringing salvation through the missionaries, through the apostles, through different ones that have gone out. He has brought the light to the Gentiles. He has shown the Gentiles who he is. And he has shown the Gentiles that just as Noah prophesied to Japheth, that Japheth will in he'll inhabit the tents of Shem. That is the, the, the prophecy showing that we will come in and we will be rooted into that good olive tree. Even though we are by nature Gentiles, God changes our nature. As the Apostle Peter puts it, He has made us by these, by these precious promises, He has made us partakers of the divine nature. And if you've got the Holy Ghost, you can say, you can get excited and you can say amen about that one. But he is the express image of his person. Jesus is the exact representation of God. There is no more to see of God other than can be seen in Jesus Christ. He says, uh, upholding all things by the word of his power, this is verse 3, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay, so again, he's talking about he purged our sins. I'll say it again. He was our Passover lamb. He was our sin offering. He was our scapegoat. He fulfilled it all. He came. He was our day of atonement. But our day of atonement now is every single day. Our rest is in Jesus Christ. That's why we do not hold a Sabbath day because he is our rest. And I don't want to give a spoiler alert here, but over in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, we find out that he that has entered into his rest has also seen from his own works as God did his. Amen. So we cease from the works of this flesh and we take up the fruit of the Spirit. Sitting on the right hand of God. Now this is coming from the Word of Flame Apostolic Study Bible. Again, the ISBN, it's in there uh, in the show notes. So the priest under the Old Covenant are never listed as sitting down because the ministry is never finished. There's always another sacrifice. There's always more coming. There's always more for the priest to do. But Jesus, once he accomplished the one sacrifice for sin forever, he sat down. What did he say when he was hanging on the cross in the book of John? He said, it is is finished. 
It is finished. Once and forever, when you have entered into this covenant, you don't have to worry about any more sacrifice for sin. You don't have to worry about the day of atonement, although you can certainly rejoice in the revelation when that day comes around. You can certainly rejoice. But that day of atonement, I'll tell you what, it's today, it's tomorrow, it's the next day, it's every day that you are on the face of this earth is the day of atonement because he has bought your salvation not just for this life but he has bought your salvation into the next and oh what a blessing it is to know him oh what a blessing it is to have the revelation that God the Father came down manifested himself in the flesh took our sins upon him when he hung on the cross and made a way that we can enter back into that relationship that Adam had with him and I believe a closer relationship God the Father made a way for you to have a relationship with him you understand and when they heard these things they were pricked in their hearts and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do then Peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. God is no longer content to dwell on the outside of you. God wants to dwell on the inward parts. God wants his spirit within you to lead you and to guide you. Well, that's our three verses for the day, and Lord willing, we will get further next week, but oh, is it exciting. What has he done for us? Again, if you have questions, if you have comments, you can email us at the Apostolic Bible Study Time at gmail.com. That's Apostolic Bible Study Time at gmail.com. Uh, please like our Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash Apostolic Bible Study Time facebook.com forward slash apostolic bible study time you follow that page in any updates uh, also uh, from buzzsprout these episodes will be posted over on our page so there's many reasons to go over and like that page and also for a list of scriptures and for the references that I make for the references I use in the different books you can head over to apostolicbiblestudytime.org and you can receive these it's starting with this episode and episode 2 it will be posted in blog form but Lord willing we'll be back with you next week I I am just so thankful for what he has done for us. But until then, this is Brother Jason reminding you, Jesus is not in the Godhead. The Godhead is in Jesus. Colossians 2 and 9, for in him, in him, in Jesus Christ, in your salvation, in your Savior, for in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Till next time, goodbye and God bless. Our righteousness and power yeah.